I don't think there's anything more rewarding to me than watching a kid get it. Like, watching a kid, like, actually get it. But then you can't make decisions for people. So you have kids, like, in gangs and stuff, and you're like, yo, you're much more than this. Like, you don't have to do this with your life. Like, come on. Like, you got to see your potential. And then, like, you might hear the kid got locked up or killed or whatever, and it's you you live with the success of the ones who got it and then you accept the failures of the ones who didn't as your own welcome to the underground comedy podcast with sean joyce for more information about our live shows check out undergroundcomedydc.com hey thanks for checking us out this weekend we got dc's best showcase at big hunt and our old friend mark norman headlining dc draft house you can get tickets and info to those shows on the website. Our guest today is Kason Wilson. Kason was a great comic here in D.C. before moving out to L.A. this past year. He has appeared on Last Comic Standing and True TV. In this episode, he talks about working his way up to the top of the D.C. scene while splitting his time between stand-up comedy and serving as a youth minister for kids in very difficult situations before ultimately making the decision to move to L.A. and dedicate himself completely to comedy. You're nine years in? Yes, nine years in. Okay, so you started you started a year before me, basically. Yeah. Maybe like six months to a year. Okay. Uh, and you started in D.C.? I did. I started, well, I started because of college. Like, I was in college. Uh, one of my professors told me to do it, basically. And okay. I, and I did it. And where, where were you going to college? I went to Howard University. Did you grow up in D.C.? No. I grew up in Jersey City, New Jersey. Okay. I went to high school... Went to high school in Newark, Delaware, or Newark, Delaware, as they call it. Okay. It's just weird. And then um, I came down to Howard University to study theater. Um, I was an acting major. Well, my concentration was in acting. My major was in theater arts. Uh, my professor, uh, his name was Al Freeman Jr. Okay. So have you ever seen um, Spike Lee's Malcolm X? Sure. The guy who played the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. That was okay. like my acting teacher for two cool. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, one semester, a part of his class was we had to write and perform an original monologue because he's, his philosophy his philosophy was always that you create from your place. Okay. So people can give you all these scripts and monologues and all these things, but he wants to know what you naturally would create. Right. So he was like, create a character, create a monologue. Um, so I did, and I performed it in class one day, and he was like, that's not a character. That's you doing stand-up. Okay. But that as a critique of what I had done. Uh-huh. And I was like, no, this is my character, and I wrote this whole character breakdown. He was like, I get it. But that's you. Okay. Doing stand-up. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, that's not. It's it, I'm, This is my piece. I Like, I this is a play, and this is yeah, part of a yeah, bigger... Yeah. He was like, it's not. It's That's you. Those are your characteristics. Is that like... Uh, you know how certain actors are kind of just themselves? Yeah. It, you know, over... Like, like Denzel, like, changes a little bit, but it's, like, mostly him. Like, it's always, like, really riding on his personality. Yeah. Do you think, you think you're just maybe one of those types of guys? Yeah. I think you, I think you are. You just I, can't not be yourself. Yeah. I think that's how it worked out. And um, so he said, all right, cool. If you don't believe me, why don't you just go to an open mic and perform your monologue and uh -huh. tell me how it goes? Uh-huh. And I went to... Um, 
it was a comedy club. I think it was the Riot Act on 14th Street. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Zareas. Yeah. Do yeah. You, do you know Zareas? Yes. Okay. Uh, Haywood was hosting. Uh-huh. And I was, I was at a really terrible point in my life. I was just a corny, sheltered kid. I had like so this is when it was first opening. Yeah, yeah. The, so I I did I did the first open mic there. Really? Yeah, I was on the first open mic. In there. the base, like down. In yeah, the, yeah, yeah. There's 300 people there. Really? Yeah. It was that big? Yeah, downstairs. It's huge, huge basement. It's still there. I mean, it's uh, it's like a there's it's all filled with board games and. No, 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 not that. Oh, you're talking about the old ride. The old ride. Oh, the little ride. I think it was on like U oh, Street yeah. or 14th oh, Street yes, or something yes, like that. Yes, yes, sorry, yeah. Yeah, like the old, okay. old oh, one. Oh, I got where you. It was like, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so he was John Zarez was a um, the GM uh, at the Improv. Le- left the Improv. See, I didn't know. This. I, I think don't, I, don't, I didn't know this part. I think they had a bad ending. Yeah. And then he started his own club, Riot Act, in a little space. Mm. And then he partnered with another group, and they started a 300-person room, which was also called Riot Act. Yes. Which then they also closed, and he they got in a lawsuit and stuff. Which was a beautiful space. Yeah. It was a little conferency room to me. It was felt a little – it was like a little sterile and high ceilings. I get that, but it felt – it it's felt clean. like it was something new for the scene. It was new. Yeah, it was yeah. new. Yeah. So, okay. So that was, you went there. You went to the, the old ride act. I, and I wore a Kooji sweater, some over, some super like big jeans. Okay. I was like a super corny kid at the time. Okay. And, and dress shoes. Like that's how <laughs> bad, that's where I was like that time in college. And Haywood destroyed me like on stage. Like he destroyed me because I sat right in front. Yeah. And I went on stage and I did like a three minute set. I can't even picture Haywood doing mean crowd work now. Yeah. I don't But I, I think but I could picture him being younger and, and like growing out of that. Yeah. Same laugh for some reason. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I went back the next day and I was like, yo, they loved it. And he was like, because it was stand up. Like I told you that. Yeah. I had a very similar thing. I took a theater class. But I just took one theater class in college. In college, mm-hmm. and we had to do a uh, final performance, a, a monologue. Okay. And I just did jokes. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is, is that I was in college. I would always do a joke at the beginning of every presentation. Oh, dope! I would start every presentation with a joke, and like your late night monologue set, or yeah, something? yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd open up with a joke, and then I would do the presentation. Yeah. And. Uh, in, we had to give multiple presentations in that theater class, and so I used up all of my good material because I wasn't writing stand-up jokes at the time. I wasn't like developing material. It was sure. just like, you know, stories I had that were f- funny. Gotcha. And so uh, when I did that final performance, uh, it was all new, uh-huh. and that I wrote that week, and it, and then I bombed my la- my last performance because it was all because I was doing all new material. It was yeah. like I used up all my good stuff throughout yeah. the year. But uh, anyway, so that's cool. That's it's uh, interesting to know that you were originally going into theater mm-hmm. because you you know you do have a very theatrical performance. Yeah. Did you want to be an actor? Was that your original idea? Yeah, I, actually, I, w- I started college uh, for musical theater. You wanted to be in musicals. Yeah, like I love musicals to this day. Oh, so are you are you a good singer? I can I can do enough. To okay. be a part of the company. Okay. But I, I, if if I had a choice between like a great being a great musical on Broadway uh-huh. or being in a movie, I would take a musical all day. 
Oh, really? Yeah, it's just something about a live performance uh-huh. that I think is... And I do think, uh, to your point, I, I think a, a large aspect of that is my philosophy on stand-up. What's that? Like, the, the, the theater aspect of the live performance. Uh-huh. I think that I do... I do... Uh, it's just something about the spontaneous aspect of a live performance that I think that you just can't capture in a movie. A movie's great, but there's something about knowing that the person that you're looking at is doing this and not, if something breaks or yes. something happens, like it just happens. Yeah. It yeah. just happens. And they're making it look real in the moment, even though we know it's all blocked. Yeah. It's a completely different energy when you're seeing uh, something live. Yeah. Especially when you're seeing just one person live and, <laughs> and, and even more so if you know, what stand-up is like and how little you have to fall back on yeah. when things go off the rails because you really just have your material and then you have a couple of ways to to get it back on track and if they don't work it's then over. that's it man you're just gonna suffer it's such an unnatural thing when you think about very it, unnatural to just have all so many different kinds of people just be quiet yeah and wait for one person to put them all on one yeah. train it's actually like phenomenal that we get to do that I I remember I remember seeing you around, you know, throughout the time that I did stand up and yeah. I mean, I think for like the first few years that I was around, I you know, I wasn't booking too many shows. I was mostly just doing stand up. Mm-hmm. And I would see you around sometimes, but not that often because I was in Virginia a lot back then. And uh and I at some point Several years in, you know, you just I felt like you just started having these like really crushing sets like you would get these huge laughs that and I don't know if you from your perspective as you were living through it. Do you feel like a steady progression or did you did you like were you like kind of like doing stand up doing and then like do you, you have like a any breakthrough at some point where you kind of figured it out? Yeah. Um, so like I started stand up, I guess that would be like 2010. But that was like really like the darkest time of my life. Mm-hmm. I, it took me like seven years to graduate from undergrad. It was just like a super depressing time, uh-huh. like ridiculous. I mean, like the darkest time of my life for sure. So you couldn't perform with like full, you know, full energy and full fully be yourself because of the Stan- other difficulties. Stand up was the only therapy I could afford to rationalize in my head at the time uh-huh. I, if i had to say that if there was a breakthrough yes i mean i can't necessarily i, I don't have like a diary where i can kind of like put the timeline together but i do know that after i graduated kind of unlocked something where it was like i like doing this mm-hmm. and you know i think that i've come across a lot of um i've been blessed to be around people who i wasn't tainted i think uh-huh. I think I had a lot to do with it. Like I, I kind of got around like a lot of really good killers, but people who were who really cared about art and stand up. What do you think it means to be tainted? Tainted in the sense of like I think there are a lot of things that you watch in any scene in any business, but more specifically comedy for the sake of this conversation. That I think people end up getting tainted if they don't get around the right people early. Like yeah, they get bad influences. I mean to. The idea of being money hungry in this business, I think, taints. Mm-hmm. I think the idea of like just trying to like have sex with anything that wants you uh-huh. makes you taint it. And I think the uh, the sometimes like the idea of being like small minded. So like, I I was never. Um, I don't think I ever 
took it too seriously if I got bumped or if I wasn't like a favorite in a room. Yeah. Or, like, I, cause I was around people who were like, go to another room. Like, right, just right. keep going, make your own stuff if you don't have, like yeah. I, I was, I think I was around those people early and I think a lot of the pitfalls, mind you, I have my own, but I agree. I, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. I, I think one of the, the, a lot of the pitfalls that you find with a lot of younger people come from, I mean, like even like drugs, like sure. I, I was never, um, I never really, I, I was blessed to be around people who I think um, kind of shaped a much more creative and artistic view of what stand-up was and not necessarily the power struggle that it can be. And were those comics in DC? Comics and artists. So like, it's actually kind of weird because I'm friends with artists of other concentrations. Yeah, you've always seemed to be... L- coming from a slightly different place than just a guy that shows up for an open mic night after night and then is just grinding out stand-up over and over again. It always seemed like you had other in other performance aspects and other life aspects where you're not necessarily at every show every night. Yeah, You're coming in and then you're giving these performances that are different from everyone else yeah so i I think my life was always a little different like i I was my faith is a lot in terms of just time consuming yes like i was at church a lot of nights and um i mean if i had a choice i would go to see live music and live poetry before i saw live comedy okay to this day okay and a lot of my friends are musicians and singers yes yes i have a lot of great comic friends Uh uh-huh but i think i always kind of saw comedy as in a group of other arts uh-huh. versus just like the art. Yeah, that's right. And that's ra- that's rare for a stand up because yeah. most comics get sucked in and it takes it is unnatural, right? Doing stand up in front of people like that and you have to work so hard at it. Yeah. Almost almost every night, you know, you're you're just constantly thinking about your material and then tweaking it and and I think, you know, generally most comics just get tunnel vision and are fully into stand-up and kind of forget about the fact that anything else can exist. Yeah. Or, like, w- being confused at why any uh, anyone else would be interested in anything else other than stand-up. Yeah, I, like, when I, even when I talk to comics, it's actually kind of weird because I feel like the way I, the way I think about comedy is very different than... Like, it's hard to explain. It like is. It, like, if I were yeah. to ask you, like, what do you want people to feel when you're on stage? What would you say? Oh, I want people to laugh at my jokes i want to hear a certain noise yeah <laughs> when i say a certain word i want a certain i want to hear a certain noise back and i want you know i want people to leave like thinking about the whatever joke i told and thinking like oh that's a funny way of thinking about that and when that topic comes up that they remember that joke you know th- yeah. that's that's all i want yeah i don't i'm not trying to really do anything other than that yeah so like, obviously they're comics that I look up to and love and all of that stuff. But like I view them, like I view Chappelle on the same level as I view like James Brown. Okay. I think they make you feel the same things. Okay. So like I'll listen to Stevie Wonder or I'll watch a Bruno Mars video and be like, I want people to feel like that. Just uh, like you really, you're just trying to create inspired joy in them? Or just feel any feeling in general. Yeah. Like. If I'm telling a dark story, I don't want it to be funny. Okay. I want it to be, I want you to, I want it to feel icky. 
Like I, I want. Yeah, yeah. That's what I want. Uh huh. And then I, I mean, it's my job to bring it back and make it make sense. Yes. I, obviously, I don't want to like bomb and of be course, like, but course. I drew so much emotion out of people. Like, <laughs> like at the end of the day, we're supposed to make people laugh. I mean, it's clear. I mean, I can tell you don't want to bomb, like just based on the way you perform, because yeah. I can see you searching when because you have a you have a free flowing style. Yeah, it's a it's a loose style and it's a playful style. And so whenever you are playful like that, it's not the results are hard to predict, right? You, there, there's a big range in how people can react to it. And so sometimes it takes more, like sometimes it's automatic and it's like magic. It's cl- clicks immediately and then you could just raise the level. And then other times it's a struggle and you got to pull it out of them. Yeah. And I could see you on stage when you do have to search in the audience to find something so that you can connect with them to get them to where that you want to go. But all of that isn't intentional, to be honest. I it can make it. I it's can, instinctive. Sure, but a lot. I think a lot. A lot of it is, like now that I'm in LA, I think a big part of it is, um, being more intentional about the discipline of joke writing. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. So you're so you're shifting a little bit. Yeah, but well, I mean, one, you're putting your name in a hat with 800 people uh-huh. to do. 20 seconds of comedy yeah so also hard for your style yeah well, yeah yes but but uh it's something that i have to adjust to yeah yeah you know you, i right. can't like wait 20 years and be like right you gotta give me 30 if you want to re- see the re- like it's not it's just not how it works so it's I, not how it works. i want to be able to do a tight set but right. then when it's time for me to give you the full experience like i think at the end of the day like i i do want people to feel like they're at a show Sure. I I appreciate like my favorite comics are all really varied. Like I I can literally watch 24 hours straight of Stephen Wright. Mm-hmm. Like I love it. Uh-huh. Um I can watch 24 hours straight of Cat Williams. I I I, yeah. I I'm I appreciate all of it. But I think at the end of the day like I do appreciate the people who I feel like give you like a show. Like a show. Absolutely. Like you felt like it was spontaneous. I could tell the same jokes, but if you came to two different shows, I want it to feel different. Yeah. Th- yeah, that's cool. And that's, yeah. I, I mean, I definitely, I want it to feel the same. Yeah. I want it to feel the same every time. <laughs> yeah. I just want to, I'm just trying to get closer to the ideal set. I want, I know exactly what I have in mind and I want that. And I can never fully get it. I can only get like 97% maybe. Sure. Uh, but it's much more it's much more exciting to see performances that vary from, from one set to another. Um, although that it, it does, it adds extra challenges for the performer when it's going to vary like that. Cause you're I feel like we're on opposite sides of the tennis court though. Cause I feel like I appreciate the people who can like, sure. They know ev- like when I watch people and I can like see the move coming and I'm yeah. like, you still made the move. It's yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. 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 That's, I, that's inspiring to me, and then, but I feel like people look at me like you, like what? Well, <laughs> you just gonna do crowd work every time during that part when I could obviously just tell the joke. But I think it's fun yeah. to incorporate the crowd work into it. Yeah, I think it reminds me of. Do you know Tim Dillon at all? Sure. He he does a he has a similar some similar bits to to yours in in this structure, uh, it, where. It's almost like you guys set up a game to play. 
you set up a game with the audience and you ask them a question they give you a response and then you have things you say back Mm -hmm. to it and you guys both do that and both of you will kind of if you can really get that going you know it will build energy and then it can get become really long or it can you can get only just a little bit out of it and then you have to move on to the next thing. Sure. So that is like that huge variation and what that joke is and how long that part is. Yeah. I, I, I like different levels of laughter. Have you noticed when you do those types of interactive jokes, when you have a chance to do a longer set in LA, mm-hmm. do people, uh, is the reaction from the crowd different? Do you feel like that mix in that mix of audience out there in LA? Yeah. Cause it's a different type of people. Yeah, I think in L.A., everybody is much more aware of themselves. Right. So it, there's a sense of, like, I'm I'm not a part of this. Uh-huh. Like, I'll laugh, but I'm not. I feel like in, in, in D.C., I think there's much more of a sense of the audience gets comedy. Like, they want comedy. Uh-huh. So, like, yeah, I think the L.A. Yeah, is because in, in, in D.C., they want to be entertained. They're trying to take a break. Yeah, they're they're here for a break, yeah. and in L.A. it's kind of all one performance, in some ways. Like yeah. their life is a performance. It's um, and even you can tell even in sometimes in the approach of comedians who start in L.A. that they it's like they want to be shown something. The crowd wants to be shown. Yeah, something? so they're they're they want to see a character. Is that what you mean? Yeah, in a way, in a way, um, like even I, I appreciate starting in D.C. so much uh-huh. because the individuality of everybody who comes out of here. I feel like we could just all sit on the sideline and just appreciate whoever is killing on stage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think I don't think there is. I think it's very unique to have a scene that there's no cookie cutter image here I yeah don't think. it's nice that's the sense i get i f- but i could just be biased because i'm but I, I feel like it gives you the space to everybody has their own way of doing things yeah no i think i think it's true i think that uh in some yeah in some scenes people end up they kind of like fall into these like schools uh, where they kind of all end up sounding like like everybody sen- sounds like Patton Oswald or yeah. everyone sounds like Louis or everyone sounds like Chappelle. Like everyone's trying to do that same thing. Chappelle's gonna, less so. He, he's he's kind of hard to imitate. I think impossible. Uh, but uh, but Louis certainly th- or Birbiglia. There's like a l- whole group of, of comics in New York yeah. that sound like Birbiglia. Um, and yeah, I don't really think that has happened in this kind of like younger group of people that are in DC now yeah. or l- that have left in the past couple of years. They're, they are kind of unique. I mean, even the people who've left DC, like Hampton and right. Jermaine and Seton, like it's totally, it's d- all totally different, completely different, but th- there's something about them that you can kind of trace back to DC. It's like, it's just a certain, I mean, they, I feel like the comics here can talk about, they can go in and out of politics and still be silly. And mm-hmm. we, it's just a sensibility that I think we're, I think one of the best things about DC is that the, the audience is smart. People in the crowds are smart, yeah. and if you say something that's corny or obvious to them, they'll they'll be annoyed by it. Yeah. And so you learn real quickly to to edit that out of your set because they'll groan at you if you if you do some dumb pun. Yeah. They just look at you like yeah. you're an idiot, and <laughs> it's like yeah. that doesn't fly, and it w- and it gets a lot of bad comedy out of people's sets yeah. because. 
it doesn't work to do it. And you see people come in from other cities relying on wordplay and, the, you know, they really struggle. I think DC, yeah, I, I absolutely, I, there's a sense where they're like, what's the idea? Uh-huh. What's the point? Yeah, what's the point? Why are you, why are you wasting my time? Why are you wasting That's my time? That's a punchline where you're from. That's a premise down yeah, here. Yeah. So to go back to your faith, mm-hmm. you, know, you were a preacher? Yeah, I was, a, I was a youth minister at my a church. Mi- okay, yeah. and so what does that mean to be a youth minister? Like, what's that? Yeah, so um, I went to a church in Landover, a city of praise, family ministries. Um, it was a fairly big church. Uh-huh. Like it's right next to it's the church. I don't know, you, like the Redskins Stadium? Sure. It's like that big blue and white building next to it. Okay. That you have to like go around to get to the stadium. That was the church. So I worked there full time, and my job was they, there was no young adult ministry. This is probably way more details than you need. That's all right. But but it was like a, it was um, so for the teenagers, uh, everybody in high school. It was actually my job to like find out what their grades were, go to their schools, meet their teachers, meet their principals, go home, figure out what their home life was like, and then see what like the church resources that the church had can do to help the kids. Wow. For some, I like I needed to like be at the high schools all the time. I needed to like go to their houses and figure out homework, which is a part of the reason why like I you people didn't see me out all the time. Yeah, that sounds like a br- significant job. It's very very like this is being going to LA was the first time I've done stand up full time so ever. How often were you able to perform while you were doing that? Maybe twice a week. Twice a week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think it's interesting because uh that's part of like that perception I have of you where you're kind of coming from a different world because you're not here every night. Yeah. You know, you kind of you show up from time to time, but it's exciting because it's so different. Yeah. You know, you don't kind of end up in that same rhythm that everyone else is in. Yeah. And uh, it's exciting. So then did you also were you also speaking in front of large groups in that role? Yeah. So um, we had um, we had like a core group. So, all right, so that's what I did for the teenagers. And then for the young adults, they didn't have, so that's everybody from, like, 19 to, like, 35. Okay. And there wasn't anything for them to do, like, no activities, no social aspect to it. So we started a group at the church and had, like, 200 young adults join. And then every, like, every second Tuesday, it would be, like, a core group where everybody can literally come in and be like, yo, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm going through. I need prayer. I need help. Um, We would just talk to just like, build a community Mm -hmm. every second Every fourth Tuesday, we have like a Bible study for everybody, and then every fourth Friday it will be like a worship service where everybody can come in and listen to worship music and just just vibe out. So, yeah, I mean, uh, and then Bible studies I would have to speak. We would have like a lot of events at church. So like, I mean, stand up between that and then like being a newlywed. I like just got married a, a year and a half ago. So between all of those things, it really stand up was like number three, and yeah. not. I mean, not in my heart. Like, of course, I love stand-up. Uh-huh. But just in terms of the time requirements, like being a newlywed is something that you feel like, oh, I can balance stand-up and uh-huh. my wife's expectations. Uh-huh. And even as much as my wife, Tiffany, as much as she wants to make me feel comfortable with doing stand-up as much as possible, it's a, it, it's an inevitable pull if of you course. care anything yes, about yes, her. Yes, yes, of course, of course. She's like, no, anytime you need to go out, please feel free. And, and But... Right, but you can't leave her just all the time. Yeah, it's you just... You have to spend time with her still. It's a pull. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard balance. On top of 
I'm at church from nine in the morning till five in the afternoon. How long did you do that job? Uh, four years. Four years. Okay, you said nine in the afternoon till five. I cut you off. And yeah, no, nine until five every day. But I mean, maybe three or four days out of the week, and then that's not even including like Sundays, um, Saturday afternoons. Like, I mean, guaranteed at least three days out of those week, I'm staying at church at, from nine a.m. to like eleven at night. So wow, it's um, it was definitely uh, I think. I think there's a lot of the joke writing part of my career that I, I'm catching up on in terms yeah. of like, this is like the life that I live and this is what I want to write about. And this is what I, because I, I was literally just writing black and white stuff. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, it's interesting to think like how much potential you have <laughs> given the, the limited amount of resources you've been able to put into stand up. Yeah. Because you've come, you've, you've had great success for, a comic oh yeah, up, good. up to your, you know, the amount of time that you've been doing it. You know, yeah. you, you got on Last Comic Standing, mm-hmm. you got on True TV, mm-hmm. you worked your way up in DC, you made it to LA. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. And that's all while, on, while never being fully committed to it. Yeah. This is like literally, this is the first seven months of me being able to sit down and be like, yo, I'm a stand up. And it took me, I mean, it literally took me months to just get used to not. Ha- having that level of responsibility on top of stand-up not right. having to like fit stand-up yeah. in and yeah like because it, it, it is hard to pursue stand-up and write jokes if you have a very demanding job because it it just takes up so much of your your mind space that it's hard to have time to think of jokes and have you know because you, you need to rest and recover from the work that you're doing just to go back and do the work again let alone sit there and then try to be creative on top of it. It's a real challenge. Which is impossible. Yes. It's, it, it was legitimately impossible. Like there's no sense of, of calming down from like finding out that one of your kids is 14 and their mom and dad left them mm-hmm. and they're taking care of their like six year old and three year old yeah. brother and sister like this, that, that sticks with you. And were you, were you running into those types of things just repeatedly all the time yeah like all the time like uh, i think uh like uh, literally like it's it's a an emotional thing to to think about like what a lot of kids have to go through like uh we i mean i would get calls from principals and be like hey you you know you told me to call you anytime there's an issue like this kid's grades are dropping and most of the time, adults would essentially like, "What's going on? Get yeah. your grades up. What's going on in the classes?" And then you go to the home. You're like, "Yo, are y'all cutting Big Macs in half to eat today and tomorrow?" Yeah. Of course, your grades are dropping. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like you're you're a father. Yeah. Like they're w- legit. I, I used to have to. It was like a school that we adopted. And there's a nursery, a fully functioning government-funded nursery, in the school. Oh, for the for the students' children. Because they, right, like, the idea that you need a fully functioning, yeah, like yeah. a a fully functioning nursery, in the school. Yeah, like kids are going through a lot. So, as much as, as it's not I, like I worked in the government too. So when I started stand up, I was working for the government and going to school full-time right when i graduated i was working for the government and then i was working at church part-time so then i was like all right i want to work at church full-time i want to just do this and then do stand-up and um 
it's, it's just no getting that out of your system. Like, there's no, like, all right, I'm off of work and, and a kid's life is in a balance. So. Was that a rewarding job that, like, made you feel like you had a purpose? Or was it, like, just so much to emotionally deal with year after year that it's, like, almost uh, difficult to, to just do it indefinitely? That's an excellent question. And it's impossible. I'm... Wow. Both. Um, I I don't think there's anything more rewarding to me than watching a kid get it. Yeah. Like watching a kid like actually get it. But then you can't make decisions for people. Right. So you have kids like in gangs and stuff. And you're like, yo, you're much more than this. Like you don't have to do this with your life. Like, come on. Like you got to see your potential. And then. Mm Like, you might hear the kid got locked up or killed or whatever. And it's you you live with the success of the ones who got it. And then you accept the failures of the ones who didn't as your own. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, they're like, oh, I never really had no big brother before. I never really had a father before. So you I mean, you love and it's almost like stand up, to be honest, where the times you kill, you forget that night. Yeah, and then the bombs you keep with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way too long. Sure. Like you don't ever, like legit. I had to to correlate it to stand up. I I have a I had to make a Google Drive okay. folder uh-huh. just of times that I've killed, just so that like if something doesn't go right, I can like go watch it and not freak out. You did that for stand up? Absolutely. I I can show you. Like I have an entire. Because it folder. bothered you so much when you had tough sets. It would like. I would like stick with me yeah. to the point where when I had a good set, it almost felt like retribution for the time that I bombed. You know what I think part of that is, is only going up twice a week. Yeah. Because if you yeah. go up every night, you just get so into that rhythm yeah. that you, it, it does make it easier because I would get to the point where if I had a bad set, I would just want to be on stage immediately again. Cause <laughs> I knew, I knew that if I went on stage again, Chances are the set would be fine, yeah. and then that would be the last thing in my memory. Yeah. It would erase that bad feeling. But when you you go up on a Wednesday and you're not going up again until Saturday, yeah, there's a long time to sit with it. Yeah, that's and and I wasn't I wasn't also like the space to try new jokes. Like it, it was almost to a point where mm-hmm. I felt like I had to like finish it before I could perform it. Yes, it adds I, a lot of extra pressure to do it that way. Yeah, I, I guess I never. I never really thought about that, but sure, I that is a reason to. I guess it kind of prepared me for LA too, <laughs> in terms of like stage time and stuff. But I think you know, I think that it can be an effective way to do stand up because I think when you just get in that rhythm of going up every night, yeah, and you're loose and you're working stuff out, you can kind of stay in that loose working stuff out, and it, it, sometimes it can like really stretch on for a long time where it can take you dozens and dozens of repetitions to like get a joke worked out and uh whereas other times like if i have something specific that i'm trying to write if i'm writing like a very specific bit i'll work really hard on the writing if it's complicated and long to get it really tight before i start doing it and a lot of times that stuff ends up being stronger for me than the stuff that i gradually changed over time i think that you can write you can write in a more effective way sometimes that way yeah and I, I think I've always been really long-winded and always sort of, first of all, like my my jokes are just way too long. <laughs> like 
I write really long jokes. Yeah. And I think I always kind of uh, battle between this idea of like, do I just want to have fun or do I want to say something that I think is important to say in terms of like writing? Right. Uh -huh. So now it's actually really weird because I have the time to do it. Yeah. So it's like adjusting to being like, I can write anything. I can write everything. Yeah. And you can you can play going back and forth between those things, you know? Yeah. It can be serious for a little bit and then you relieve the tension. And that that is like, I remember we, uh, we uh, do you remember going up against me in Kumite at the improv? Sheesh. Yeah. That was uh, that was like the first, I think that was the first one when they, they, they did that like years ago. Uh, and then they brought Chris White brought it back. Yeah. And I was on the first one and I went against Rob Mayer in the first round. Crush Rob, easy yeah. win. <laughs> <laughs> and then Take uh, that Rob. Yeah, not close. And then um I went first in the second round mm -hmm. and I you know, I just did my rhythmic jokes. I just went up, knocked him out one at a time, got steady laughs all throughout. I had a good set, I felt decent about it, and then you went up. And I don't remember what bit you were doing, but you didn't get a laugh for the first four minutes of the set. <laughs> yeah. You just went, you're just talking and it's just building tension in the room and people are confused and they're like, what, where's this going? Like, what is this? Like, and you can just feel the tension growing each minute that goes by with no punchline. Yeah. They get, cause they believe in you cause you're confident, but you're also W there is no punchline and there is no punchline and there is no punchline yeah. and then the punchline comes at the end and then they explode yeah and then they're like okay well let's uh do a round of applause for who won that yeah and then it's like and then it's silent for me yeah there was uh so obvious but that's that's your one i think that to me that's like the style that i think of with you is that building and building this energy without laughs and then these huge laughs but i think a part of that and and you probably know more about this, but it, I think it's the theater aspect. Yeah, it because is. it's ne the intention is never laughter; it's it's the movement yeah. of the emotion. Yeah, that's right. Because you you are playing with their emotion, you're playing with the tension, you're building it up, and you're giving a true performance. Yeah. But I'm like a technician, you know. I'm like doing like math formulas, like with my words that I'm trying to like make people see these things but in yours is completely different and when you put them back to back when you have that explosive energy that's the one that is really a performance see but one i don't even think i never think comedy should be contested well yeah yeah sure that's that, i agree with that too but i but i say that but because it's a fun it's fun game to play i mean it's stage time and you know it's cool but i i think i mean it sounds cool to say but I think that m what I do is uh, great. I love what I do, but I also admire the consistency of having it down to a science. Yeah. Because it's, it's like a high risk, high reward thing. Yeah, it is high risk, high reward. Yeah. And I think there is a part of it that you just need. Like I, I was talking to um, Randolph Terrence about it, and I was just saying like, yo, it's weird when people – like having credits is weird. Okay. It's a very weird thing. How so? Because people just, I mean, people treat you different. I mean, I guess you get credits so people can treat you different. But like I, I look at joke technicians and people who write like cleaner than I do. And uh -huh. I just admire it so much. Yeah. Because when it, when it doesn't hit, you wish that 
if the the it's like flying a helicopter versus getting on a roller coaster. Like I hit the button, it just goes and yeah, it comes exactly. back. Yeah, exactly. Versus like hot air balloon. Let's just see where this goes and right. we we'll hope we'll make it back to our landing. And it's um like I just I now I'm at a place where I want to write things that I don't I can't. I want to write it to a place where even if I don't perform it it will still hit. Yeah. Like you just can't like perform your way out of it. Did you ever do an album? I've recorded three. Okay, you recorded three albums. The first one, uh, the first one, the audio quality was bad. Okay, that was in 2012. I did a, uh, I did an hour special at Howard. Okay, called Under Construction. I still Is have it on my computer. Video, video, yeah. everything. Okay. Like it's everything. The material is terrible. Like, I think with specials, if you don't put it out in a year, you're gonna look at it and be like, I can't put this out because you see. Yeah that a year's worth of growth is not this is not a representation of where I was. It also uh you know, as time goes on, you know, the originality of your jokes just other people catch up to them. Yeah. You know, yeah. stuff that you're thinking that is that is like insightful and original. 2 years later, a lot of people have caught up to those ideas that that they weren't thinking when you first said it. Hey, I never thought about that, but that's true. Um I did a second one at a um, Theater in Columbia Heights, D.C. Oh, um, D.C. Arts? No, no, no. It's um, the Gala Hispanic. Oh, okay. It's like 220 seats. Beautiful theater. Big. A lot of people don't know about it. Yes. Do they ever have stand-up shows there? I never I, hear about stand-up there. I produced it myself. Cool. So all three, I executive produced it uh-huh. myself. Cause I, and again, I think that was a part of being around the right people, where I was never really like big on getting stage time. Like I was great if I did it, but if not, I was like, I'll just do my own show. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, so I recorded two shows. I did two shows that night in that theater and the videographer took the camera, put it in his car, drove to his girl's house and then his camera got stolen. That's a, that happened to us at really? a festival. Seriously? Martin, Martin filmed a bunch of stuff, went to a girl's house. Got his camera stolen out of his car. So dangerous. Thing. Lost all the festival footage. So I have all the video and none of the audio. So literally no audio. No audio. <laughs> so oh you can like God. see people losing their minds, <laughs> but you can't hear wow. any of it. It's, that's, it's, wow, that's devastating. I mean, and I I got a set designer. Like I just can't not think theater. So I got like a set designer. I had a lighting designer. I had a gobo with my name on it, and oh my like God. crazy stuff. How long did it take you to get over that? It hurt. That hurt for a long time. That's, uh, I can't even, that's one of the toughest stories I've heard. And, and, and it was material that I don't even do. So like, like, it's funny you said Martin, because I did a show with Martin at a church and I had to do like 45 and I ended up doing like an hour and a half. And he was like, I've never heard any of that stuff. And it was like, it's not stuff that I feel comfortable talking about at a comedy club. Like, I do like this, like, I do oh, like it's 30 different for a special. Completely different. Mm-hmm. But it's like two different worlds. Like, I grew up in church. Yeah. So coming to a comedy club was actually the adjustment for me. Uh-huh. Like, I grew up in church. Like, that's all I knew okay. until I got to college. So, like, I did, like, 30 minutes on not growing up with my dad and our relationship. And that's not even, I think people who 
who have just seen me in comedy clubs or yeah, I've never heard you talk about anything like that. Exactly. But it, it was such a vulnerable time. Like that was, and that was a part of that whole 2010 to 2012 thing. Like my dad is a, he was a pastor, but I didn't really know him until I was like 16. And it was just like a, a very, very sensitive thing. So yeah. I, I just wrote about it and talked about, and I mean like the raw parts of it. And it was crazy because I would have people like at the show, like legitimately crying. Do you ever think of like a future where maybe you would do it again? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, some, maybe sometime down the road, that could be a, a show for you. Sure. I want to meld the two together. Uh-huh. But I think that a lot of, um, I don't know. I, it's, maybe it's just like a mental block. But I think like if I have 10 or 20 minutes, it's a lot. It's not enough time to be as vulnerable as I want to be because it's not. It's, it's different. Yeah, yeah. It isn't that much time. Yeah. If you're going to be really deep, it's yeah. not enough time. Yeah. It really is not. Yeah. If you're going to go super deep, it's not enough. Like, I, I, it's and not, it's not even appropriate, up. really. Right. Especially if you're featuring. Yes. If you go in the middle, you're really not appropriate. Going at the end is okay, but you're going to take them really far down and not have that much time to, like, bring it all together and that yeah so yeah when i when i've had that extended amount of time like i could really talk about and i you know that's that's probably the most vulnerable and sensitive i've been on stage like to the point where i'm really talk like all right so the last the last special i tried to film i still may put it out but my dad was supposed to come to the show okay so they, I actually wrote a joke where he would come out and interrupt me in the middle of the joke, and then we would finish the joke together. I had like a whole band, and we were gonna sing a song together. And then the night before, he told he told me he wasn't coming. And yo, I was so broken. Yeah. That there was a joke about him not being in my life that I wasn't gonna tell because he was very sensitive about coming yeah. and being like the butt of a joke. Yes. And then he decided not to come because he was afraid that it was like a sabotage. And I was like, it's not a sabotage. Right. So he didn't come. And I just remember like kind of breaking down in front of the crowd. But with but and I and uh it was weird and it was vulnerable and it was scary, but th that's how we ended the show. I ended it with the song that I was gonna sing with him. And it got bigger laughs uh -huh. because the parts that he was supposed to do, it became like this big thing because yeah, he wasn't yeah, there, yeah. which tied into the story of him not being in my life wow. somehow. Yeah. But originally, he was really supposed to be there. So what did you, what did, have you watched it since then? Yeah. So when you watch it, what does it feel like a complete show? Does it feel like it ended, like it makes, like it actually turned out to make sense and fit together? Or yeah. did it, is it, what do you think? Yeah, but I didn't put it out because I don't want him to see it and feel that way. I just so if you 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 talk to him, you you're in contact with him now. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. I mean, we he um the show was like in May, and then he called me in like August and was like, "Hey, I'm I could just be up front with you. Like, I just you know I I got a hotel and train ticket and like it was like first class treatment. I was right. Like, this is and this was gonna be like the first time that I feel like. For he and I, it would have been an end to just like eggshell point of like where you have you brokenness. Been able to get past that point, or are you still there? I I feel like I'm there personally. I feel like 
I think that some people, uh, I think some people's guilt won't allow them to. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think, I don't, it's not, it's not a situation where I don't forgive him. I think it's a situation where he's having a hard time forgiving exactly, himself. Exactly. And I think that's a huge barrier, which is why I wanted to do the show in the beginning. Cause I was like, if with the, when the crowd goes crazy, we hug at the end of the show. Like, I think that would be the moment where we can like really clean slate it. Yeah. And I think it became another chapter in a book that we both wanted to end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just really hard. Like, I mean, I don't, I'm in my thirties now, like early thirties. And I think it's just, I don't know if we've ever had a conversation where he doesn't apologize for not being in my life. And it's right. like, bro, we're good. Like we're good. Like right, I'm good. Right. I'm not, it's like, I should have played with you. I'm like, Bro, like I don't need to play catch anymore. Like I'm solid. He lives in New Jersey. He lives in New Jersey. He pastors a church in New Jersey. He still pastors to this day. That's cool. That's real. I mean, that's tough. It's a, those are tricky relationships that uh, I think, especially especially like the adult son father relationship is tough. I mean, it's a it's a big one, and it's I think it's something that kind of followed me in terms of like validation, and it it, it took a long time for me to feel. Like I knew what I was doing. Yeah. Not not just as a comic, but even as a man, like it wasn't it wasn't funny to me. Like it was it was real. Like I it took me a long time to feel like manhood was something attainable for me. Like it wasn't and there was no amount of stand up or career. Why did that you just feel like you couldn't like you weren't gonna be able to to fit in and like and just be an adult? I couldn't see myself in a in an obscure definition of manhood yeah like manhood was like you're just gonna stay a kid or or what is like i know like uh when i got to maryland and i started attending the church it was like the first time that i had met men who were like yo i love my family and i'm vulnerable and my kids watch me trip and i'm not any less of a man like the first time i saw like the guy, like mentors, his Will Jackson, like what I would consider to be like my father. Um, the first time I saw him cry, it was like a revolutionary experience because yeah. it was like I still respect this man. Yeah. But and it it completely destroyed the definitions that I was forced to form on TV and music. Like that's all I had. Like mm-hmm. music videos was like all right that's cool that's what manhood is or like i grew up in the hood so it's like even like the drug dealers were like don't be like us don't come out here go to school and do your work but it's like you got new jordans you got money you got like you got women everywhere like so it was the first time where it was like a guy who was like yo i'm i just love my family and they see me vulnerable i cry sometimes you just have fun like you're cool like you what you're doing right now is manhood yeah take just take care of your responsibilities And uh, that was like a transformative experience for me and kind of shaped everything because I I don't I don't have a a definition. Maybe it kind of shapes everything because I don't have additional definition of what my set is like. Everything's kind of fluid for me. Like it is what it is. Whatever this moment is, let's make this moment together. Yeah, But that's a cool way to perform. That's a very that's a very interesting way to perform. And that's like, you know, Marty Litwack talks a lot about kind of doing stand-up that way yeah. where he's like very in the moment he's very connected to the crowd and it's really yeah. about both of you guys is a lot about connection a lot about energy and like meeting 
kind of raising the energy of the audience and meeting the audience where they are and then taking them uh, to another place. Yeah. Did you feel like uh, you got to a point in D.C. where you were ready to move on to go to L.A.? Was, did something happen that made you confident in doing that's such a big move? Um, no, no. I, I think that I knew that if I stayed in the DMV, I would never do stand up full time. Yeah. Just because of the pull of the other things I'm passionate about, like nonprofit stuff and working at church and stuff. Like I was never going to be able to do this unless I moved. Um, plus, I feel like I'm, there's so much more that I want to learn that, uh -huh. I, what, that I didn't just didn't have time or the resources to do, like in terms of like, L.A. is crazy. L.A. is not a place where you go to do stand-up. Okay. It's a place where you go to do stand-up to have access to do other things. It's for people to see you do stand-up. Right. So you can, like, act and write and all of these other things. And I wanted to learn, like, the business. I wanted to learn writing scripts. I want to learn, like, how to be funny other than telling formalized jokes. So... Yeah, I feel like that was it. I, I definitely don't feel like, which is super weird. Like, I never felt, some people talk about, like, outgrowing their scene. I just never felt like that because I never felt like I was one of the funniest people in the city. I just felt like I had the credit. So I think you were. I think you were one of the funniest people in the city by the time you left. Um, you know how you kind of, you see, you see what you can grow in while other people see what you've grown in? Yes, I think the development of like performing and writing, I think I just see so much more of what I can do. Yeah, because I, I as you're talking, I, I think it's true. I think you are uh, only a, a portion of the way into your development. Yeah. Which is an interesting thing to say. I, th I think a lot of people, by the time they're nine years in and are moving, are pretty far into their development. And then they're just trying to get to these more you know, they're just like smaller incremental increases, not these huge changes that can still happen because they haven't even really had a chance to go for certain things yet. Yeah, I feel like that. I mean, I, I genuinely feel like I there in my head. I know the things that I haven't even like touched yet. Like it's hard. Like writing about my marriage is weird for me. Is that was like, is that a thing for you? I mean, writing about, yeah, my relationship is, like, one of my main topics. It's yeah. probably half of my jokes are about my relationship. So um, that's normal for me. Like, that, I like, that's, like, my favorite topic is relationships. But is it a, is it topical? It sounds weird to ask that. Is it topical or the heart of, like, um, if, I, if I'm writing a joke about my relationship, like, an argument that we had, like, yeah. I'm, I'm writing about the anger of it, uh -huh. not the presence of it yeah is is it like that for you or is it just like i can extract this the humor out of this this point of view i mean i i, th I mean i'm just uh, in a lot of ways like a, a very ridiculous person in terms <laughs> of just my the way i go about things is just yeah. kind of absurd uh and the way i think about things is is crazy and so usually i can just I can just lay out my thought process, yeah. which to me is funny. And I, I think to other people it's funny. Um, and 
you know, and then my wife ends up just being the normal person. She's just a normal person in the relationship. And then I'm the crazy person. And then I just explain my crazy thoughts as I try to win every aspect. I, I just compete in the relationship as if it's a competition. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's generally how I write about it. Yeah. Like I, like right now, I'm trying to like write more about what it's like to. Like L.A. has been such an adjustment that yeah. I just want to write about it. Yeah. Like, and it's it ain't every day ain't fun. Of course. But I, I actually want to stuff like that. Like, I don't want to tell the joke unless unless I know people can feel. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Being a guy and talking about my insecurity. I don't want it to feel like I want a guy to be like, dang. I don't think I you feel I, that. I, I don't think you really need to worry too much about uh, like second guessing, like. Your whatever you're putting out there. Yeah. I, I feel like I feel like you're a genuine performer and so like I think you can just go for it, man. I think you can yeah. just put it out there. I don't think you have to worry too much. Because okay. especially compared to most other comics. Yeah. It's like a lot of comedy is like very contrived, you know, and it's very formulaic and very re- repetitive. Um, so I think when you coming from a, a unique background and you have a unique performing style you can just go ahead and go for it and just do your thing okay do you have a do you have a manager no so do you have like a plan of being in LA of like what you're trying to what you want to happen you're just gonna try to meet people and just try to network try to get on shows yeah you know the weird part I've never been approached not one time really I don't know. Uh, you know, the thing about L.A. that I'm glad I went, it, it, it's so much more networking. Like, I, I wish um, I talked to somebody about it. Like I, I want to – obviously, everybody wants to be successful. But one thing I want to do when I'm successful is to come back and, like, teach, like, a business of comedy class mm-hmm. that, like, comedians can come to, like, at least, like, once a month where you can, like, learn more than just, like, your set. Yeah. Like networking, yeah. not being involved. I won't say not being involved, but being careful of the politics of comedy and staying out of cliques and realizing how damaging that can be if you're just worrying about stuff that doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I want like this podcast to be that in a way yeah. so that when people are listening to the various headliners coming through and their experiences and like what they had to do. So it's like something for people to listen to, to know you know what are the what are the next steps that are coming and what are the things that people have had to do to get to the next level i heard i heard a comic um (laughs) while i was in town say um yeah i'm um i'm trying to learn how to feature because i don't host yeah that's funny it's like what that's a funny thing that's i I don't host what does I, that even mean? Yes. I, I didn't even know that was a thing that you could say out loud. It doesn't. I mean, it's absurd. I mean, it it's reveals uh, it just reveals a lack of understanding of the business to say that. That's crazy. I mean, there to say you don't host, you can't oh, you can't go up cold in front of an audience is what it means. You can't go up there and you can't get the show started on your own. Is that what you're saying? So, like, I mean, legitimately, like, I, I, when I say I feel blessed to have been around people who I really respect, not just locally, but 
like uh, the first time I ever got to like do a weekend for somebody, it was Donnell Rollins. That's a good one. And I admire that guy so much. Like I've literally watched him destroy for 10 shows and then fly back home, land at like seven and be in some like hole in the wall with four people mm. at 745 and watching him do it. And he'll literally look you in your face like, yo, that's what stand up comedians do. You're yeah, not a star. To, you're a comic. He came to Vendetta on a Tuesday night and did an hour out of nowhere. Just showed up, did, went on stage for an hour. He f- he did his Radio City Music Hall set with Chappelle yeah. and then left while Chappelle was on stage to go do a bar show. Yeah, yeah. But But again, if you don't have those kinds of people around to set the tone, it's really hard for people to get caught up in the other stuff. Of course. And I think that's, I don't, I mean, I'm not, obviously I'm not here. I'm not an elder statesman of DC or anything, but I think that's, you'd need people to set the tone. Like I feel like when we, when we started in my day, but uh, I feel like there were people who like set the tone, like write your joke. Yeah. You have no punchlines. Like I remember people telling me that. Like, sure. That's cute. But like, can you write a punchline at some point, or you just want to dance and tap dance all day? Like, yeah. Like, I thought it, everybody laughed, and like, yeah. But we're comics. We we are listening. They're watching. It's. I mean, uh, it's uh, it's exciting for me to hear you saying that you that you want to focus so much on your writing, because it just makes me think. Like, wow, I wonder what is possible. I wonder what you're gonna come up with once oh. you have the time to do that. Yeah, it should be exciting to see. I'm looking forward to it as well. <laughs> I mean, but it, um, yeah, I mean, I think I've always loved the writing part. But I mean, really knowing other people's processes in terms of like picking out like syllables and word choices and active and even like reading different books on stand up. And like I, I kind of uh, try to pull from a whole bunch of different things. So I even read like uh, public speaking books. Yeah. Just to like see what effective like effective communication, just to see like how they think through it and see what 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 parts of those translate to stand up. But that's like an athlete that's like learning about a different sport to improve them and the, like you know to improve their balance or yeah. or whatever their core strength, so that they could all of a, they all of a sudden have like different skills than any other athletes in their sport because they've incorporated these kind of unusual things. And I feel like that's kind of like what it's like with you when you, when you're incorporating these other skills, whether they're from theater or even from speaking to, to, to kids or whatever, whatever other different styles of, of speaking you're doing, you get, did you, when you were, were you doing like preaching? Did you do the like intense? Yeah. Was it like inspire? Were you trying to be inspirational? Um, I mean, it really depends on where you are. Like, um, at church, yes, because there's much more of a context. Like, like out here, I never, at least I never tried to like throw my faith in people's faces or sure openly convert people. Like, I if people want to talk to me about it, I've talked to people one on one about it. They uh-huh. ask me questions and told me about their experiences, which I'm a hundred percent open to. But in the church setting, yeah, I mean, it was um. Some of it is inspirational, some of it is motivational, but I think one of the things that I always wanted to do was to be balanced. So one of my biggest critiques on the entity of church, it's not every church, but where I was was 
I, I don't think there should be more inspiration than practicality. Mm. So I love the Bible. I love God. I love talking about what the Bible says. Great. But I also think that it's just as important to have financial literacy classes. Mm-hmm. That's what teenagers need, financial literacy classes. So we can talk like we can tell them don't have sex. We can tell them don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. But we also have to give them tools not to just survive or not to do the things we don't want them to do. The realities they're facing. Of life, like yeah. social skills. Like, um, like one thing we started doing was like Father's Day things. So like the boys would come in cars lined up like do you know how to change a tire do you know how to tie a tie do you know how to tie a bow tie like do you know yeah, which yeah, way the fork yeah. goes like that that stuff like i i think that people have this idea of people who claim to be spiritual or go to church or whatever that they're very linear in the sense that it's like all god all mm-hmm. and that is true of some people but i think the people that i've been blessed to be around were always like hey listen um, you know, of course we're going to tell you not to have sex before marriage, but when you get married, do it really well, like break her back. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. No, like legit. They'd be like, yo, listen, like go for it. Because, because the narrative is always like sex is bad, sex is bad, yeah, sex is yeah. bad. And you never really had somebody who's like, yo, it's not that sex is bad. But you know, when you, when you're not having sex, you, it's a much clearer decision you have to make on a person when you're not. Yeah, attached yeah. to them like that kind of stuff was in in the church so to answer your question um yeah i mean it was it was biblical it was inspirational but it was very practical like listen we get that these things are like pleasurable but they're just not beneficial because but i think you can feel it in your performance that background right really you, i I've, i i mean and i don't know if it's just because i know that you have that background yeah. so that I'm just putting that you, hear y- you know you know what I mean I'm looking for it in what you're saying and you know maybe you would have be that way no matter what but yeah it's there there are moments where you you do feel like a preacher where you are bringing you're bringing the crowd with you where you're you're really uh being motivational and inspirational and I think um I can I can absolutely see that I think it's partly church and I think it's partly like the theater training as well because it was always like ingrained in us that the people in the back need to feel you. Yeah. Like people it's But what if skill to know for a stand up comedian the people in the back need to feel you? Yeah. I've never heard a comedian say that. But that is but it's true. It, I and I think that um I really I'm still fascinated to this day. Like and I talk I feel like I talk about it way too much. But like watching Chappelle like just put his foot on a speaker and just talk. But it still feels like he's performing. Yeah. Even though you're drawn into him. And I think that the theater thing was like almost um, like you ever seen like those commercials where someone is sitting there and then like a wind, wind hits them and their, their hair flies back. Like I kind of always wanted my performance to feel like that. Like yeah. what do I do with this energy? And you don't really have a chance to think about it. Mm-hmm. Like. I, I've tried to like start slow and be like, let me just talk yeah, through yeah, it. Yeah. But it just doesn't feel like me. Like, right. I admire the people who do that, but it's like, all right, cool. But I, I think I work best when I'm just like aggressive and you don't have time to think about it. Yeah. You're just caught up in this like whirlwind of. It's good. And when it goes well, it goes really well. Right. But um, yeah, I, I, I think that 
it was something that like if it's 10 people those 10 people need to like feel like you're on like they need to like feel it right right and if it's 1500 people you have to like expand it to, so they can like feel your presence there like i want somebody in the back of the room to feel like he's reaching me and not like i'm not, not just like i'm hearing it that's cool man yeah well man i think uh i think things are going good for you yeah i think you got all these different uh pieces to play with that are really cool all your all the unique your unique background and performance style and now you're trying to trying to go about it in in a new place and then trying to go about it in a new way at the same time it's uh it's exciting to hear all of this what what do you think makes up the makeup of how you philosophize comedy in terms of what comedy in terms of what do you mean like i think everybody i'm interested to see what philosophies people put together to make up how they create how like how i create stand-up sure i mean i think that my way of creating stand-up is much simpler than yours okay mine is i have thoughts or situations that i think are funny and then i'll i'll type them out word for word and i'll try to make it very concise and I'll try to make every syllable have a purpose. Um, and then I will just get into a rhythm on stage one after another. I just line them up and then just build up the momentum. I think you're selling it short, though, because one of the things that I love watching about you is that I think that you can take an idea that is so relatable. But I do you do have like these moments of like clarity mm-hmm. on stage where you say something that you've you really feel sure. and it's not and it's not funny yeah yeah sure. it's like oh you really like that <laughs> or like i've like watched you tell like a joke about something that happened in the news uh-huh and it's it's the news but then you're like you guys are a fan of that guy like it, but it, yeah. it, but it's so it's it's not in the context of it doesn't feel like it's in the context of comedy so if there has oh, to be yeah yeah you understand what i'm saying yes yeah so there's a there's yeah a, and i think that that that's like i think that that's like the next level of comedy that i haven't gotten to really which is uh trying to incorporate that style of my of my stand-up which is it really wasn't i i really never developed it because of the past couple of years i've been producing so many shows i i haven't been i haven't been growing as a writer and performer other than just doing crowd work i haven't grown so i I haven't been able to what you're saying incorporate that style of uh yeah really showing more my regular personality and really being more more of a big personality on stage and less just joke and rhythm based and uh i don't know if i'm ever gonna have the opportunity to explore that um depending on you know how how my time goes i think that's my favorite part about your style <laughs> is that there's uh, honestly i think there's something that's so inquisitive and open about you uh-huh. but then there's also a point where it's like okay but i know this yeah that's right it stops here yes like i'm listening but no yes that's exactly right and i and that's interesting to me because bec- i want to learn yeah i want to learn i'm interested i'm open to hear what anyone has to say yeah but I'm not going to listen to ridiculous things. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me something that doesn't make any sense. I'm not interested in it. And I have no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to even entertain your explanations for it. If I'm, if I already know that it's wrong. I want to hear that. 
it's fun, and that's a fun way to be. It's fun to be that ta- that to take that hard of an approach to things. Um, so we'll see if I ever uh, if I can make time to to pursue it. I'm excited. Well, uh, I, I hope everything uh, keeps going well for you out in LA. I'm excited to see what happens. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks so much for being here, man. Oh, it's a pleasure. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com.